Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 429, and today we are talking about books being released on September 5th, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! I I like saying hello to you like we didn't just have a very long talk (laughs) about pets and people and... I know. I was thinking, what are what are we going to talk about at the top when we have spent so long complaining about our pets? <laughs> In the best way, but also, yes, uh, pets. <laughs> <laughs> like, why not just ruin some more of my stuff? You know, mm-hmm. why why do I even have nice things? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, mine are funny. They're they're feeling better because for like a while there we had like thunder almost every single day in Maine where I am not rain just like it would start to thunder and the power Mm. would flicker or the power would go out but it didn't rain but the cats did not like that it feels like they've gotten more sensitive to that as they've gotten older they're almost five now and it didn't used to seem to phase them but lately they've just been like I don't like this at all and I'm gonna run around and I'm like I'm sorry that 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 phase of thunder Maine has stopped so that's good okay yeah, we had a bunch of thunder here too, which is quite rare where I am. We maybe I don't even think we get it once a year oh that there's a thunderstorm. So yeah, and the the dogs didn't seem bothered by it, but I don't know if that's why Scrappy was had an upset stomach later. So Aww. maybe maybe had some stress. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why I had an upset stomach all the time. Oh, no, it's just perpetual <laughs> stress. <laughs> Doesn't help. No. So let's see. What else? We are recording on Wednesday. This is pretty early for us. But it's kind of fun yeah. to like, get it done. And then, because I normally do it on Fridays. But mm-hmm. then I have a little more time to get ready for the weekend, in which I work all weekend. <laughs> but it's fun. I don't know what else to talk about. I feel like I've done nothing in the last like week since we recorded, except work. I did. I did watch lots of episodes of the monkeys. That was something. Oh yeah, yeah. I love the monkeys. I never get tired of the monkeys and talking <laughs> about the monkeys, which I think I did uh, when I recorded backlist yesterday, and also in the newsletter this week, and possibly in my own newsletter. I will talk about the monkeys until the cows come home. Until the monkeys come home. I don't know. <laughs> I love that show. Yeah, just been doing that. Reading a lot of graphic novels. I love graphic novels. Mm, me too. I always have a stack of graphic novels checked out from the library. I I try to control my holds at the library and not put a million things on hold. Mm-hmm. But the exception is graphic novels because I'm like, oh, I can fit those in between books. It's fine. Yeah. But then I end up with like... 12 graphic novels that come in all at once. I'm like, I don't know if I can fit in all of these. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you heard the show last week, but 
One of my favorite graphic novels of the year came out. It's Things in the Basement by Ben Hackey. Oh. So I highly recommend you put it on your library hold list. Okay, I'll add it to my giant list. I could also talk about that for a really long time, too, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so I don't know if we hit, like, this weird area code spot, but once again, the internet tells me that area code 429 is only for general use, which has been, like, a few of the last ones. Except for one website which says it's in Albany, Georgia, which I could not confirm by looking at websites for Albany, Georgia. So if it is true, hello to Albany, Georgia. And if not, like, it's just general use. Go wild. Use it for hmm. whatever. We'll get back to places someday, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know general use. What? When does that come up? I don't know. Like, <laughs> But, like, I think it was, like, 426 and 427... Maybe it was 427, 420. I don't know. The last few, a couple of them have been general use. So, but like, it doesn't make sense to me because if you use it for general use, I think they mean general use by the post office and not by people because if you, if okay. you like, or not the post office, excuse me, the, the phone company, because if you try to call 429 before a number and it's just general use, like, it doesn't mean you're going to get through to anything. <laughs> it's like, let's just randomly dial people. <laughs> It just picks a random area yeah. code to stand in for. Yeah. So, I don't know. Seems strange. I always get confused in my head saying area code and zip code. Like, place where mail goes. No. Place where phone goes. Yes. <laughs> anyway. So, that's going on. And you're going to tell us something. But before we do that, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Danica, tell them what they could win. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about our sponsor today, which is Book Riot's own newsletter, The Deep Dive. Book Riot's editorial team is writing for casual and power readers alike over at The Deep Dive, and that includes me, and I've really been enjoying writing for it. You can find weekly stories that inform and inspire readers drawn from our collective experience as power readers, teachers, librarians, booksellers, and bookish professionals. So some recent stories for free subscribers have included A Brief History of Chain Letters, which is what I wrote, and I had so much fun reading so many articles about chain letters and realizing this very long, very strange history of chain letters, including this huge boom basically during the Depression where there were pop-up stores devoted to chain letters and the whole postal system was clogged with millions of chain letters. It's very interesting. There's also a behind-the-scenes look at being Book Riot's managing editor, and that one made me laugh out loud several times. 
and also the anatomy of an Obama summer reading list. And then paid subscribers get access to exclusive content, including a mega list of books our readers think you should add to your TBR, as well as access to community features, including the ability to comment. And also, during the month of September, all new free subscribers will be entered to win Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, plus five mystery books from the deep dive. And by mystery books, we mean you don't know what the books are, not mystery novels. Maybe they are, maybe they are, you don't know. To enter, simply start a free subscription to the Deep Dive, no payment method required. To enter, go to bookriot.substack.com. So that's bookriot.substack.com, and no purchase is necessary to enter. All right. So we're going to talk about books. I love it. That makes me (laughs) so happy. So it is September, if you can believe it, and my... First pick for today is relevant because it is The September House by Carissa Orlando. This is a debut. It is going to get you right into the mood for Halloween if you weren't already year-round, like many of us here at Book Riot. It's a haunted house story, but it's a different kind of haunted house story than most because instead of the new homeowners being scared off by the haunted house or trying to rid the house of ghosts or whatever they think is in it, they decide to live with them. So Margaret and Hal have worked hard their whole lives. Hal is a semi-famous author. They have a daughter named Catherine. And they've been saving up for a new home. This is something that Margaret has always wanted. And after Catherine graduates and moves out, they find the perfect house. It's a gorgeous Victorian home with so much room and beautiful lawns and like fancy, beautiful trim on the outside. It is everything in a house that Margaret has dreamed of. And they are so enchanted by this house that they don't really stop to wonder why it is so inexpensive, which is always the first clue, or why the realtor doesn't want to come inside, which is another good clue. So they buy the house, they're so happy, they move in, and birds start flying into the side of the house and dying. And this happens quite a bit. And then one day, there's a woman in their kitchen who says she's the housekeeper. At first, Margaret thinks she's hallucinating, but Hal can see her too. And it would be one thing if you thought, like, someone had broken into your kitchen. But the thing is, this housekeeper is horribly wounded because she's a ghost And she was murdered by a former owner of the house over a century ago. But she has agency. She can touch things. She makes tea. She does chores. She moves furniture around when she's bored. Makes little stacks of things. And it's fine. And it's alarming at first. Um, But they're like, okay. But just as they're starting to wrap their heads around this, it's the month of September. And the walls in their bedroom start dripping blood. They try cleaning it up, thinking this can't possibly be what we think it is. But it just comes back again. And Hal is like, we have to do something. You know, Margaret's like, I don't want to, I don't want to move. This is like the perfect house. So they invite a priest over to perform like an exorcism. And it seems to help for a while. But and September ends and it goes away. So maybe that was it. Until the following September. And this time, not only does the blood come back, but there are more horribly injured ghosts. And these are all children. And there's more blood running down the walls and something terrible in the basement. They can just feel it. Like, they don't like to go down there. They they get terrified. The ghosts are all afraid of the basement. 
But again, Margaret refuses to move. She has figured out the patterns of like when the ghosts appear, what's happening. She's decided it's, you know, definitely the month of September. She reads up on the home. She knows about the former owners and things that have happened there. There is a biting ghost child. She knows when he's going to appear and how to avoid him. And since the blood always mostly stays upstairs, it doesn't bother her because she has an artist studio and Hal has a gorgeous office to write in and everything else is fine except as long as you don't go near these ghosts or do these things. But after a few years, Hal decides, like, he has had enough. Like, this is frightening. It's getting worse every year. And September's about to start and he moves out. You know, he begs Margaret to go with him. She says no. He moves out. So now Margaret is alone. In September, with her housekeeper and her only friend, her neighbor, who has met the housekeeper herself and believes what Margaret says about the house being haunted. And then Catherine, their daughter, calls and says she can't get a hold of her dad. And Margaret, you know, has to tell her, well, he moved out, you know, weeks ago. And Catherine thinks that's weird, like no one's heard from him and he's not answering his phone. So she insists that she's coming to visit. She's never seen the house. Like they moved right after she went to college and she's never been home. So Margaret's like, no, 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 you can't come home because she knows that it's September. You know, Catherine might see the ghosts or the blood or she might get bit by the angry ghost child. And worse, she'll want to know why the basement is boarded up and what is down there. So but Catherine insists on coming to visit. And so things are going to progress from there. This is a story of violence, trauma, abuse and resilience um, what people can live with, what people can tell themselves is normal, you know, what they can handle. This book, you know, I was really surprised, but it is like, goes full bore at the horror. It does not pull any punches. It's an excellent, frightening debut about family, abusive relationships, accountability, and agency. I do, you know, you've probably guessed from what I've been talking about. I do want to tell you that there are a lot of content warnings for this. There is so much graphic, emotional, and physical abuse and trauma portrayed, um, substance abuse, sexism, graphic violence and injuries, body horror, gore, mentions of suicide, and lots of child harm and death because you know there are dead child ghosts in the house. But what a what a way to kick off you know a writing career. Uh, this is the September House by Carissa Orlando. That sounds really good. I love a haunted house story. Yeah, it's really intense. And I, I was, yeah, I was really pleased with with how it, it sounds, you know, silly or weird, but I was really pleased with like how much blood and horrific things were happening. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You do want a horror book to, to live up to its promise. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My first pick is definitely a tone shift. It is The Beginner's Guide to Culinary Combat, which is book one of Cooking with Monsters by Jordan Alseca and Vivian Trong. And if you remember, last time I was on the podcast, I talked about reading Basil and Oregano by Melissa Capriglione, which is a sapphic YA graphic novel set at a magic culinary school. And somehow now I'm talking about a YA sapphic graphic novel set at a fantasy cooking school. And I don't know how these both came out around the same time. They are quite different, but I really enjoyed them both. And 
both times, I thought the fantasy cooking element was really fun. But in this book, cooking is only one half of the challenge because just as important is the student's ability to fight monsters, which they will then prepare as gourmet meals. This was such a delight to read. It is the first book in the series, so it establishes this big, diverse cast of characters and their relationships with each other, as well as the basics of how training happens at Gourmand School of Culinary Combat. The main character is Hannah, and when she was a kid, her and her best friend Bobby were rescued from a monster by a warrior chef. And ever since, it's been her dream to become a warrior chef herself. So now they're starting their first year at the Academy, Hannah and Bobby, and the rest of the cast is Hannah and Bobby's respective roommates, as well as Hannah's love interest and academic rival, Olivia. Hannah is immediately smitten with Olivia. They have a promising introduction. They seem to be hitting it off, and then it takes a turn, and they really get off on the wrong foot after that. Hannah is complaining about her mentor because the warrior chef that saved her as a kid is one of the instructors at the school, and she was really hoping that she would be her mentor. And that's not what happened. And instead, she has a mentor named Chef Graham. And Olivia is quite angry that Hannah doesn't appreciate that she has this amazing opportunity to study with Chef Graham because Chef Graham, unbeknownst to Hannah, is Olivia's grandfather, and he swore that he'd never take on another student. So Olivia is hurt that he's chosen to train Hannah over her, and he is this really well-respected, one of the best warrior chefs that's ever lived. So Olivia feels like she should better appreciate this incredible opportunity. And after that, the relationship between them really spirals into more rivalry, more miscommunication. And then meanwhile, Bobby is becoming closer with Olivia, and Bobby and Hannah are drifting apart. I was really quickly pulled into this world and the well-rounded characters, but also, of course, the fantasy cooking element There are the monsters, which are all part animal and part food. So like mushrooms, which grow mushrooms from their antlers. And some of them are defeated in combat, but other ones are cared for. They're more peaceful and they work with them to like harvest these mushroom from the mushrooms. And they are such a fun visual element. I have never gotten over the Pokemon phenomena of just wanting to look at cute little creatures. I still will pick up any graphic novel that has collectible (laughs) or a whole cast of cute, weird little fantasy creatures. I'm always for that. I already mentioned the diversity of the cast, but that's really woven into the story. So Hannah and Bobby are coded Japanese and Vietnamese, and they face racism and anti-immigrant sentiments from some people in their community, including a second-year student who shows up at the school, and they continue that contentious relationship they had. 
And then there's also a non-binary side character, a trans man side character who has top surgery scars. Olivia is black. So this really is a diverse group, which I enjoyed. And they all are really well-rounded and distinct. I often lose track of books that have a big cast, but each of these are so different in design and personality that it was really easy to keep track of them. And I think that this group of characters alongside the monsters is the main strength of the graphic novel. I can really easily see how this is going to support a whole series because I'm intrigued by even the characters we've only seen briefly. And we also get a look into Hannah's own weaknesses that she has to overcome in her training. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the subsequent years are like at the Academy. So this definitely lived up to my high expectations as one of my most anticipated books of the year. And as I keep saying, I'm just really looking forward to volume two. And I would recommend it to kids and teens and adults alike. And that is Cooking with Monsters, book one, by Jordan Alseca and Vivian Trung. All right. My next pick for today, I loved so much. As I've mentioned recently, I've been really into middle grade mystery books lately. I just find them so calming and fun, and they give me, you know, Western game vibes. Nothing is as good as the Western game, but, like, some of them, like, give me some serious Western game vibes. Uh, and so I read this new one called The Curious Vanishing of Beatrice Willoughby by G.Z. Schmidt. And it might be my new favorite middle grade mystery. I mean, not counting the Western game, but still, that's saying a lot. This is a magical mystery set in a town in Europe. That's all we know. It's in a, it's in a town in Europe. And there is a family that lived in this town named the Amadeuses. Now, the Amadeuses live in a giant mansion far back in the Ink Woods. And every year, they throw an All Hallows' Eve party. Invite most of the town. It's a big to-do. Everybody gets dressed up. It's really fun. Very exciting. And... 13 years ago, they threw one of these parties. Now, these parties are for the adults, but the very bossy mayor showed up with his six-year-old daughter, Beatrice Willoughby, because he thinks he can do whatever he wants. And so the adults are having this party, and Beatrice Willoughby is wandering around the house. And at some point during the party, Beatrice disappears, never to be seen again. The police come... They search, they search the woods, nobody can can figure out where Beatrice went, but through various, you know, suggestions and, and clues, they arrest Mr. Amadeus. And after this happened, the family never went back into town, and they enchanted the woods around their home so no one could find their house. So now, all that is seen of them is their assistant, Wormwood, who goes into town to get supplies. Now, Mr. Amadeus has been jailed this whole time. It's now 13 years later. And in this time, a child has gone missing every year around the same time, around Halloween. But nobody thinks anything of it because there are always tourist children, you know, and kids get lost and these things happen and it's not their problem. It's not like they're the mayor's daughter, you know, they're not important children. So they don't really think about it. So 13 years later, several townspeople who all happen to be at the party where what they called the incident happened, receive invitations to a Hallow Eve's party at the Amadeus's mansion. They don't know what to think of this. Is Mr. Amadeus out of jail? He shouldn't be. Like, 
are they deciding to, you know, rejoin the town? Like, what's happening? Their curiosity is going to get the better of them. They can't say no to an invitation. At the big. No one's seen these people in 13 years. There's the Duchess, who is a super snooty braggart who always wears a veil. There's Mrs. Raven, who runs the Nevermore Inn, and all her friends are crows. There's the Count, who can see several minutes into the future. There's a doctor who makes potions. There's a judge. There's a cobbler. There's a school teacher. And then there's Dewey, an 11-year-old boy, and his dad. They're storytellers who travel around in a caravan, and they've been to the town before. His dad actually was at the party when Beatrice disappeared, and they weren't invited to this new party, but his dad heard about it somehow, and he wants to go. So they wander around in the woods until they run into some other guests on their way, and they manage to get themselves invited into the house. So Dewey's there with his dad, too. And the party starts at 8. When the party starts, Wormwood, their assistant, tells everyone there that the real person responsible for Beatrice's disappearance is at that party, and they have until midnight to solve the case when the statute of limitations on the crime expires and Mr. Amadeus is jailed falsely forever. And to make it harder, the house is enchanted. None of the doors or windows open, so no one can leave now. They have four hours to figure out who is actually responsible for Beatrice's disappearance. So they're not, like, thrilled about this. You know, they think, like, didn't Mr. Amadeus do it? But since, you know, Wormwood is telling them the family insists he's innocent, they decide to start looking around. They're searching the house for clues. They're sharing memories of the incident and what they remember from the party that night. And some other some other stories are starting to form. But it just might be Dewey, the uninvited bibliophile with the special goggles that help him read books in the dark, who saves the day. This was so much fun. Very Westing game, which I, I don't throw around lightly, but this was a great Westing game comp. There are fun magical elements. It's not too frightening. It's not violent. There are some great puns, and there are a bit of fairy tales worked in, and it's set up to possibly have a sequel at the end. Like, it absolutely ends, resolves, but you get the feeling like maybe there could be another one, which would be awesome because I loved it so much. It is The Curious Vanishing of Beatrice Willoughby by G.Z. Schmidt. I always love that everybody gets an invitation, and now you're stuck together in a house. Yes! (laughs) Like, set up, like, clue. It always gets me. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I've read so many middle grade mysteries this year. I was like, okay, you know, like I I was worried that they're going to start like failing to impress me. But this one knocks Mm -hmm. my socks off. I loved it so much. And also I want a pair of goggles so I can read in the dark. Right? Yeah. Somebody get on that. (laughs) All right. My next pick is my horror recommendation. And that is The Spirit Bears Its Teeth by Andrew Joseph White. So I had heard so many good things about Hell Followed With Us, which is Andrew Joseph White's previous book. And although I own it, I haven't read it yet. So this is my first book by this author. I'm not usually a big horror reader, but occasionally I'll be in the mood to pick one up. And this was one of the best and most nauseating horror novels I've ever read. And I mean, that is a compliment. I switched between the audiobook and the ebook for this back and forth, which I obviously need to start doing more. I don't know why I've never really done that before. I usually listen to different books in different formats, but it was really fun and it made it go really quick. And the narrator of the audiobook, Raphael Corkill, is fantastic. And it was a 
tough assignment because this book has such a distinctive voice, and I can imagine the audiobook sounding awkward, but instead the narrator brought so much emotion and emphasis to it that I was hooked even as I was horrified. But I should probably tell you what the book is about, which is this is a YA horror novel set in a fantasy London in 1883. And overnight, generations ago, people began being born with violet eyes. And these people are able to communicate with the spirit world and even invite spirits into ours. Silas has purple eyes, but he has no interest in spirits. He desperately wants to be a surgeon and has spent almost every waking moment studying, dissecting animals, and otherwise preparing, trying to become a surgeon. But despite his passion and his knowledge, the odds are stacked against him because Silas is a trans-autistic teenage boy in Victorian England. Through a series of tutors, his parents have attempted to turn Silas into the perfect speaker wife, but he would rather rip out his own eyes than do that. Because men with purple eyes are powerful and revered, but women with violet eyes are just a means to getting a son with violet eyes. So they come with a high bride price. And Silas has been basically groomed his whole life to be this speaker wife so that they can get a lot of money for getting him married. And when Silas attempts to escape by disguising himself as another speaker boy to get a brand that would establish him as an authority, everything goes wrong. And instead of being branded with this logo of the speaker society, he is sent to Braxton's finishing school and sanatorium. And As you probably can imagine, a Victorian sanatorium is a pretty terrible place for anyone to be, but even more so if you're trans and autistic. And it's not just the ableism, the misogyny, and the transphobia. It's also that a ghost girl has reached out to Silas begging for help, and something even more sinister is going on at Braxton's. But to fix it, he'll have to destroy Braxton's if it doesn't destroy him first. This is a novel that really shows that YA horror does not have to pull its punches. It is a brutal, bloody book. While there is a fantasy element, it's the real-life treatment of other people that provides the most horror, because Braxton's may not be real, but what happens there is not very different from what happened to many people in sanatoriums. In case it's somehow not obvious, I do really want to underline the trigger warnings for ableism, transphobia, misogyny. Those are really central to the story, and Silas is misgendered constantly. He has also had to mask all the time, really hiding anything that shows he's autistic, as well as not being able to be out as trans. There are a lot of descriptions of medical procedures, a lot of gore, including an on-page cesarean. Even when there's nothing really happening, Silas sees the world through this medical lens. So even at the beginning, before you're really getting into the horror of it, things are described in a pretty bloody way. It's very effective. And even though that's not usually what I gravitate towards in my reading, I thought it was so well done. I was completely immersed in this story. The language 
is so evocative and the voice is so unique and compelling and it slowly builds up to this dramatic conclusion. There are also passages between chapters that are from a mystery character who is dead at the beginning of the book, and that adds tension. There's this element of Silas describes this rabbit inside of him that is basically anxiety and self-loathing, and it's constantly just telling him the absolute worst thing in any given moment. And I just was so interested in this book. And I definitely am going to pick up anything else that this author writes because it is extremely well done. It's also a book I would love to discuss with other people. I feel like there's so much to dig into. This would make a great book club discussion if your book club is really into horror. And I feel like I barely scratched the surface of talking about it. But I hope that I have at least communicated that it's really good and you should pick it up. And that is The Spirit Bears Its Teeth by Andrew Joseph White. Awesome. I just got a copy of this yesterday. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, let me know. Let me know what you think. <laughs> of course. So those are some of today's releases that we have read and loved. We're going to talk about some other books now that we necessarily haven't read. But first, we're going to hear from another sponsor. Okay, my next pick for today is, sure, I'll join your cult, a memoir of mental illness and the quest to belong anywhere by Maria Bamford. Bamford is an actress and comedian. She's been in a million things. She's done voices for Adventure Time. She was in Arrested Development. She had her own show called Lady Dynamite. Uh, she's very open with her dealings with her family's dysfunction, mental illness, suicide, her hospitalization. Uh, she has no problem telling everybody about things she thinks it's important to share and get the, the word out about, you know, how everyone has these issues, you know, in some way or another. And... I've always found that to be to be really honest and, and a great part of her, you know, act. But even though it's not an act, it's actually her life. And she talks in this memoir about how she desperately wanted to fit in when she was a kid. She didn't feel quote unquote normal, but instead just made things harder for herself. I've just started it. It has the dark humor that I enjoy. Um, she's very self-deprecating, but it's also important to talk about these things. It's Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, a memoir of mental illness and the quest to belong anywhere by Maria Bamford. The next book I want to talk about is What You Are Looking For is in the Library by Mashiko Aoyama, translated by Alison Watts. And this is a Japanese novel that was a bestseller in Japan that promises to be the perfect match for fans of The Midnight Library and Before the Coffee Gets Cold. It is about Sayuri Kamachi, a librarian in Tokyo, who has the semi-magical ability to know exactly which book you should read to change your life for the better. She doesn't even have to speak to anyone who walks into the library to be able to read their soul, know what's wrong, and know which book will help them fix it. So she'll first ask you what you're looking for and give you the books that you came in for, but she'll also recommend a seemingly mismatched title that turns out to be just what you needed, even if you never would have picked it up otherwise. The novel follows five people who are stuck in their lives as they receive guidance from Sayuri. And of course, books about books are always an easy sell, and also... The idea of being able to go to a magical librarian who will know with certainty the book that will change your life. I mean, 
That sounds incredible. I would definitely do that. This is a celebration of community, including the importance of intergenerational friendships. And this really just looks like a gentle, comforting read that's as much a fable as it is a novel. And that's What You Were Looking For is in the Library by Mishiko Aoyama, translated by Alison Watts. I'm very excited for that one. Yeah. I also, I think I mentioned it last week and now I've already forgotten the title because I didn't start it even though I, I wanted to. But I just got one about a father and daughter who can make the food that you remember from when you were young that can transport you oh, back into amazing. like a memory. Yeah, it seems to be a big theme in in literature yeah. nowadays, kind of things, which is great. My other pick for today: more horror. It's like as soon as it starts to get close to the fall months, we are all about it. This one is called "There's No Way I Die First" by Lisa Springer. Uh, I look forward to reading this one. It has a really rad cover. It's about a young black teen who loves horror so much. She has a horror club at her school where they watch movies together. Um, She comes from a rich family. She goes to a private school. She has an enormous house. And she has decided that she is going to throw a Halloween party this year that will launch her horror career. Like maybe a podcast. Like this is what she wants to do. The guest list includes the most popular kids at her school. They're, they're all influencers, they've got millions of followers, and she's picked them specifically because she wants to help get the word out about this really rad party that she has been planning for so long, like not even her friends know what's going to happen because she's been working on it, it's a big secret. But things escalate quickly when the clown she hires to frighten her friends actually uh, murders one of them, which was not supposed to happen. And now she has to wonder if, you know, these stories that she has obsessed over, you know, can she follow the rules and survive the night? So that is There's No Way I Die First by Lisa Springer. That sounds really fun. Yeah. My last book I'm going to recommend, even though I haven't read it yet, but it looks great, is Into the Bright Open, a Secret Garden Remix by Cherie Dimeline. This series, the Classics Remix series, is one I'm so interested in. Back in March, I talked about the Jekyll and Hyde remix, My Dear Henry, which I really enjoyed. And as the series title suggests, they take classic novels and remix them, often pretty drastically. They might change the setting, time period, more... And what's interesting is the variety of authors writing for it who are really bringing their own perspectives. And unlike the original classics, the remix versions star queer people, people of color, and often queer people of color. Shri Dimline is a Georgian Bay Métis author best known for her dystopian YA novel, The Marrow Thieves. When I was a substitute teacher, I saw this book as a class set in every high school I went to. It's so incredibly popular. And in her newest book, she reimagines the secret garden, setting it in the wilderness around Georgian Bay. It follows Mary Lennox, who is sent to live with her uncle after she is orphaned. And there she slowly starts to open up to this new community, most of whom are indigenous, and becomes close with a Métis girl named Sophie. And then Mary meets Olive, who is her cousin, who has been hidden away in an attic room. And Olive supposedly has a nervous condition that she's being treated for, but the medicine just seems to make it worse, and it feels like something is off. And then Olive's controlling stepmother returns, and Mary has that confirmed that definitely something is wrong. 
So together with Sophie, they're trying to find a way to free Olive, and their search for answers will lead them to some unpleasant family secrets, as well as a long abandoned garden. And of course, I don't really know what to tell you if sapphic YA secret garden wasn't enough for you, but there you go. Sophie and Mary sound like they have a very sweet romance with both of them learning to trust each other and Sophie learning to be a more kind and less selfish person. I'm really looking forward to reading this one, even though I will admit I never read The Secret Garden, but it looks like it'll stand up even without that context. So that's Into the Bright Open, a Secret Garden remix by Cherie Dimeline. You haven't read The Secret Garden? I haven't. Do you know the story? Like, did you ever watch the movies? No. I mean, I I have heard of it, obviously, but I don't know much about it. When I was a kid, there was, I think it might have been a Hallmark movie. They remade The Secret Garden, and I was so in love with Barry Oliver. He was so cute. He's the <laughs> he's the boy from The NeverEnding Story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was in that, and he was so cute. And then I was so excited because when I was in high school, they took us to our first Broadway, or at least my first Broadway production. Mm-hmm. They We went on a field trip to New York City, and it was The Secret Garden. And oh. we had gone to the hotel the night before and all run around like little monkeys. And so as soon as we got there, we all fell asleep. Like, I do not oh. remember it at all. <laughs> so that was my first my first experience oh on Broadway. My God. <laughs> the teachers who, like, had to raise that money must have been so annoying. Right? Just they made looking us raise the money. Like, like okay. we had to wash cars and That's sell true. things and do all this stuff, you know. Um, it was it was <laughs> wild. Like, I don't know. I'm just going to go off on a, on a tangent here. But they put masking tape on our doors so they would know, like, who left their room at night. Oh. Because the tape would be out the door. Except there were, like, almost all rooms of high school kids. And then there were these two other rooms of a bachelor party. And in the middle of the night, somebody ran down the hall and pulled the tape off all the doors. And so we were all free to run around. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Do they even do field trips anymore? Probably not. I think so. <laughs> So, anyway, tangent, memory lane. All right, where was I? We were talking about books. Is that what was happening? I think so. So, those are books that we have read and enjoyed, and books we want to read. And now we're going to talk about a few paperback releases that are coming out today, many of which I think we talked about on the show when they came out in hardcover. Starting with Dead Flip by Sarah Farazan. Sarah is a book riot favorite. This one is set in the 1980s. It's a little Stranger Thingsy. It's about friends who play video games, and one of them disappears, and years later, he's back and says he was actually being trapped in the game by evil. Also, They're Going to Love You by Meg Howery. One of my favorite novels of last year. Keep pushing this on everyone. I love it so much. It's about a ballet dancer. She has an estranged relationship with her father. She gets a call from his partner who tells her that her father is dying. He wants to see her. And she has to decide if she's going to go back and visit him. And in that telling, we also learn about what happened to them when she was younger and why they are estranged. If you like A Little Life, if you like Tell the Wolves I'm Home, if you like Tom Lake, this is the perfect book for you. I love it so much. It's They're Going to Love You by Meg Howery. On the Rooftop by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. This was a Reese Book Club pick set in San Francisco in the 1950s about a mother who is trying to make her three daughters into stars. 
If I Survive You by Jonathan Escoffery. Now, this is going to take a second, but let me just tell you about this book in accolades. Nominated for the 2023 Booker Prize, the 2022 National Book Award for Fiction, finalist for the 2023 Penn Faulkner Award and the Southern Book Award, nominated for the 2022 National Book Critics Circle John Leonard Prize, the 2023 Gene Stein Open Book Award, the 2023 Bingham Prize, the 2022 Story Prize, the 2023 Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction, and the 2023 Aspen Words Literary Prize. It was also one of the New York Times 100 Notable Books of 2022. That was a lot of numbers and words. But yeah, that's how good this book is. It's about a family who flee the political violence of Kingston in the 1970s to Miami and follows them throughout the decades. The first binding by R.R. Verdi, about a storyteller and a singer at a tavern who are swapping stories of their pasts, which involve magic and lots of trouble. House of Hunger by Alexis Henderson. This is about a young woman living in poverty who applies for a position as a blood maid at the castle of the Countess Elizabeth. There is blood in the word, so you know not great things are going to happen. This is a retelling of the story of Elizabeth Bathory. Jackal by Aaron E. Adams, one of my favorite thrillers of last year, about a woman named Liz who returns to her hometown even though she doesn't want to because her best friend is getting married. But when the bride's daughter goes missing in the woods... It reminds Liz of disappearances from the past, including the disappearance of her friend in high school. I'm a Fan by Sheena Patel. This was long listed for the 2023 Women's Prize for Fiction. It's an unnamed narrator telling the story of her romantic relationship. How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz, another Book Riot favorite, about a woman named Cara Romero who's in her mid-50s. She has just lost her job of many, many years at the Lamp Factory, and now she is telling the story of her life to her job counselor. And A Scatter of Light by Melinda Lowe, a queer coming-of-age story about a young woman who is forced to spend the summer with her grandmother in California. Danica, was that you who talked about this one? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Also, it's one of my favorite covers. It's so gorgeous. Yeah, it is beautiful. So those are some paperbacks, because, and, and I had to, like, cut that list way, way, way down because, you know, it was a pretty great August, but now we are back into fall publishing and the lists are like three times as long now. So I feel like I just blinked and the summer was over and now it's like so many books again. So it's exciting. Yeah. Now, what are you going to read next? Yes, I am currently reading Learned by Heart by Emma Donahue. So this is about... Anne Lister in boarding school, but it's actually her, uh, I guess, girlfriend in boarding school that's the main character. So it's like a teenage Anne Lister historical fiction. Emma Donahue is one of my favorite authors. She's always fantastic. So I'm really enjoying this one so far. Very well researched and a little, a little sad because you know from the first page that this is not going to work out. And also, if you know Anne Lister, that they don't stay together. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. What are you going to read next? Well, first, I just want to say, I feel like that book, that book came out, uh, we're recording this Wednesday, so it came out yesterday. Mm-hmm. I feel like nobody talked about it. Like, no, n- I think I just said nobody, but that's fine. You you know what I meant. Um, I, I feel like it's got no fanfare whatsoever, no attention. There were a few yeah. books that came out yesterday that I feel like, like no one's talking about. Like, people love the Jennifer Barnes Inheritance Games series mm-hmm. which I, I love i love a mystery you know the fourth one came out yesterday i didn't even know there was a fourth one 
until I opened yeah. the catalog. Like, nobody's talking about it. I don't know. That's what we're here for, to talk about these things. I think it's the there's so many huge, like, we didn't, yeah, really mention how huge this release date is. Like, the first Tuesday in September is giant. And I feel like maybe books got sort of pushed to the week before or something. Oh, because, yeah. Because, yeah, it feels like there was a lot out. August 31st that didn't get a lot of attention. And usually the last week is pretty quiet. Yeah. I think partially it's because UPS, they didn't know if they were going to go on strike. And so publishers mm-hmm. started moving books around, hoping like oh. it would encourage people to like get them in sooner. And I- I- I'm mostly sure that's part of the reason. But mm-hmm. yeah. And like, you know, also like Angie Kim, Happiness Falls, that book mm-hmm. got moved like three times. Because it got picked for, like, 100,000 book clubs, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, they just move stuff around all the time. Like, oh, it's going to get picked, so we got to do this. But yeah, yeah, that's right. I keep thinking we're talking about the August 29th books for some reason. <laughs> but this is September 5th! Yay! Yeah. So, but that's what we're here for. We're here to tell you about books that maybe you haven't heard about, including the one that I have just started reading, which is called Moggies in Space. It is edited by Rita Beeman and C.V. Walker, and it is short stories about cats in space. (laughs) Amazing. Right? There's something (laughs) for everyone. You just have to know where to look. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to send my cats to space today. My goodness. All right. That is it for today. If you want to enter to win books from the deep dive, simply start a free subscription. No payment method required. Go to bookriot.substack.com to enter, and no purchase is necessary to enter. We want to thank our sponsors. We want to thank our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com and tell us about your cats in space. Danica, <laughs> where can people find you online? Still mostly at Twitter, sadly, at lesbary, L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. All right. And I hang out on Instagram at Alive. If you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your books and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.